Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. This one is to make sure your sales goals aren't unrealistic. We're also going to be looking at uh, some more of those qualities of the rising entrepreneur. But right now we're going to have a chat with Greg Kerr from Effective Workplace. We're going to talk about personal risk to managers and business owners who underpay employees. Good afternoon, Greg. G'day, Julian. Well, thanks for joining us again. It's different not having you in the studio today. Yeah, indeed. No, it's lovely to be with you, even even by remote control. So I understand that there are have been some recent changes to the Fair Work Act, and that the increase. This increases the risks that business owners and managers and their advisors might be personally liable for employees that have been underpaid. What's all this about? Yeah, it's exactly right, Julian. Um, this is, these developments have followed a number of high-profile cases where employers had systematically underpaid award rates and entitlements, particularly to vulnerable employees, often young or foreign workers. Uh, listeners might remember the case of the 7-Eleven uh, service stations that's been in the news for a fair while and more recently reports of a large proportion of Caltex franchise service stations that were found to be in serious breach of workplace laws. Mm. So following on those, the federal government has made changes late last year to the Fair Work Act and what they do is substantially increase the potential for personal exposure of business owners and that includes franchisors uh, managers, including HR managers, for instance, and their advisors, and that includes people like accountants and lawyers, to personal liability where there have been serious breaches of the Fair Work Act and awards, uh, particularly underpayments and failures to keep pay records. Now, there's always been some level of personal risk, but the risk is now a lot greater and the penalties are much, much, much higher. Uh, the other thing that's happening at the moment that really compounds all of this is that the Fair Work Ombudsman is uh, undertaking a few blitzes and they'll be particularly looking at um, systematic underpayments in various industries, including fast food, restaurants and cafes, and also retail, security and manufacturing. Um, so the Fair Work Ombudsman is getting into high gear. Uh, and the other thing is that the unions have got a a push going now to try and criminalise what they're calling wage theft, which is basically the sort of thing we'll be talking about under payments. Mm. Now, just to give a couple of examples, and these are actually examples under the the old law, uh, so it'll be much worse under the new. So, for instance, in a recent case, a manager was personally fined $43,000 for his role in underpayments to several employees, and that fine was more than the total of the underpayments, I might add. Yeah. Uh, failure to provide pay slips and to keep the time and wages records required under the Act. There was also a 2017 case, a bit closer to home, involving a Newcastle restaurant. Its HR manager was personally fined over $21,000 for her role in extensive and systematic underpayments to a number of employees. Now, interestingly, she'd advised the business owner what the proper award rates were, but had then processed underpayments when directed to by the owner, and she'd also created false records at the owner's directions. Mm. Now, if similar cases arise under the new laws, the risk of conviction will be greater, 
and the fines will be a lot bigger. Uh, I might also add that there have been major changes that impose liability on franchisor, franchisors for breaches of the Act by their franchisees in certain circumstances, but that's fairly specialised, so I won't cover it today, other than to emphasise that franchisors need to make themselves aware of the new responsibilities and potential liability. So, so, so what are some of the changes that have been made, by the, uh, to, made to the Fair Work Act? Okay, there are a few of them, and they started to come into effect from September 2017, progressively. Now, in summary, what they've done is introduced a new category called serious contraventions. They've introduced much higher fines for serious contraventions. In fact, these new fines are ten times the penalties for other breaches of the Act. They've increased the scope of what's called accessorial liability and it's that that it widens the net to directors, management, managers and their advisors. Um, there's also been a serious increase in the fines for failure to keep the time and wages records, the employment records required under the Fair Work Act and one thing that's particularly worrying is that they've introduced a reverse onus of proof that will apply in claims for underpayment of award wages and entitlements where the employer has not kept the, re the required records under the Act. And the other thing they've done, just to compound all of this, is increase the powers of the Fair Work Ombudsman to investigate and demand production of records and other evidence where claims are being made. So, so we can have a look at some of these, the uh, yeah. serious contraventions and higher penalties? Okay. So, as I mentioned, there's now a new category of serious contraventions, and I'll talk about what that is in a minute, uh, with much higher maximum penalties. And we're talking about up to $126,000 for an individual and $630,000 mm. for a company. Now, they're, they're maximum fines, admittedly, but they're pretty serious money. And those fines are on top of any orders to make up underpayments. Mm. So it's not that you pay the fine and that's the end of it. So what's a serious contravention? So that involves a knowing, systematic pattern of conduct. So, for instance, that sort of conduct will be an employer who knew what their obligations were under an award and chose not to comply but it could also extend to willfully failing to find out what their obligations were. For instance, they didn't bother to check whether an award applied or what the employee's entitlements would have been under that award or act, uh, or just didn't bother to keep proper time and wages records or provide correct pay slips to employees with each pay. Mm. So that's what a serious contravention is, and the sorts of things that will be taken into account in deciding whether there has been a serious contravention is looking at whether it has been systematic. So that's things like the number and degree of the contraventions, the amount of money we're talking about, the length of time over which they occurred, uh, and the number of employees that are affected. Um, so that's a pretty large mm. um, hurdle. So if you're an employer and you've got a fair number of employees and you've been underpaying them uh, over a fairly lengthy period of time, then you start to be in the gun for there being a serious contravention 
and the managers who've been responsible for overseeing payroll, making decisions about wage rates and so on, um, will also be in the gun, as well as, say, the company that is the legal employer. That's under the uh, accessorial liability. Exactly right. So it's a big word, but basically what it means is that where a manager uh, or an advisor has been involved in the contraventions and in the case of a serious contravention knew that what they were involved with was serious, then they're likely to get prosecuted in their own right as an individual um, for the same offence as the legal employer, the company. Mm. Um, So that sort of involvement can be not only deliberately making the underpayment, but it could also include a failure to take action to stop or correct a serious contravention. Um, And that accessorial liability can also extend to an advisor, for example, an accountant, a bookkeeper or a consultant who gives incorrect advice to a client, um, willfully or knowingly, uh, about their obligations or assists them to avoid their obligations. Mm. Um, Or it could be a franchisor who knew or should reasonably have known that their franchisee was engaged in a serious contravention. So what what about the uh, failure to keep records? Okay, now this is is an interesting one, and a lot of it goes back to those couple of big cases that I mentioned where records had actually been falsified. Um, But certainly in my experience, there are a lot of cases where employers just don't keep the records they're required to keep. And that's where this has its bite. So failure to keep the records required under the Act, now that includes things like time and wages records and providing employees with accurate pay slips, that's always been an offence. And the penalties for stand, what we might call standard breaches of these requirements have been doubled. So that's up to 12,600 for each contravention for an individual. But if there's been a knowing and systematic failure to keep records, that will now also be regarded as a serious contravention and the higher maximum penalties that I outlined before, that's $126,000 for an individual and $630,000 for a company, will apply. Mm. Uh, This is really serious tiger territory for a number of employers who aren't very good at keeping their records Mm. or providing employees with pay slips. Mm. Now... There's another twist in the tale of this, which is apart from the fact of, or the possibility of there being a serious contravention if the employer has not kept the records required under the Act, um, or did not produce the records or make them available to an employee when they were required to do so, and does not have a reasonable excuse for their failure to keep the records or to provide the records, then in the event that a claim is made or a, uh, for an underpayment in the courts, then the employer will be subject to a reverse onus of proof. What that means is that instead of the employee having to prove their claim, the employer will have to prove that it did pay the employee correctly and or gave them the proper entitlements. In other words, the court will presume that the employee's claim is well-founded unless the employer can disprove it. Now, if you haven't kept the proper records, that's going to be difficult, if not impossible, Mm. if you can't call on the records to prove what you did. Mm. So 
there's a, a double whammy there if you haven't kept the proper records. Not only can you be fined for not keeping them, but you also find yourself with one or both hands tied behind your back in the event that an employee makes a, a claim for underpayment of wages. Can I just go to the last question then? What can business owners and managers um, do to avoid falling into foul of these new laws? Okay, most employee, employers actually do this pretty successfully. They make sure that they know what their obligations are and they comply with them. They check out what the award is and make sure they know what's in it. And that includes the pay rates, including allowances, and they make sure they keep their knowledge up to date. And they keep good records of time um, worked and wages paid, and they provide proper pay slips to the employees. In other words, they don't cut corners. They do it all by the book. And they seek professional advice if they're not sure what they're doing. One thing that I think is important to know is that it's actually fairly easy these days to find out what your obligations are. There are many sources of advice easily available. Uh, through the internet, for instance, um, the, all the awards, all the pay rates are available. Mm. Um, it's not hard to find it. Now, the best starting place is still your professional advisor uh, or a business or industry association. But for self-help, the Fair Work Ombudsman's website, which is the w's.fairwork.com, .gov.au is a great starting place. As I've said, it's got all the modern awards and it includes current and past pay guides for most award awards that give the rates of pay and allowances directly without the employer having to work them out. And you can find that in the summaries column on the right-hand side of the award page. So it's actually a matter of just knowing what you need to do and then doing it. Um, the, the information's there, there are plenty of sources of advice around, and if employers do that, then they won't find themselves being prosecuted for serious contraventions or for failure to keep records, and they won't cop these potentially disastrous personal fines. Right. Well, thanks very much for your time, Greg, um, especially pointing that important point out to us, and we'll have a chat with you again another time. You're welcome, Julian. I hope it's uh, going to help some people out there. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good on you. Bye. Greg Kerr there from Effective Workplace, just helping us understand those changes to the Fair Work Act. We have seen some of those cases in the in the uh, media, haven't we? Christina's still over in the States, so uh, I'm still filling in for her for that little bit. And last week we talked about uh, five characteristics of a rising entrepreneur. We'll continue on with another five characteristics this week. Last week, just to remember... Uh, the five characteristics we looked at was optimism, discipline, communication, confidence and team player. Number six is boundaries. The growing entrepreneur has a good sense of not just their functions and uh, functional boundaries as it relates to time, but also a good sense of where their skills are the strongest and where those skills end. Number seven is integrity. The growing entrepreneur is also growing in integrity as an individual, as a team player, and even as a leader and communicator. Closely aligned with the number one, which is optimism, the only way they can calmly and collectively ascertain their own boundaries is if they are brutally honest with themselves. They're humble and honest, willing to get help when needed, and willing to stick out their neck when it might cost them dearly. 
but they're creating a whole person, a person who is the same behind closed doors and also in public. The eighth one is business sense, and I think this one's a very important one. The pursuit of opportunity without any regard to known resources is a hallmark of an entrepreneur, but that doesn't mean that they're unaware or ignorant of what it takes to grow a business. In fact, a growing entrepreneur is training themselves up in the basics of good business practice, learning what it means to balance a checkbook, not just personally, but for the team that is counting on them as well as perhaps investors and financiers. They're also learning how to make critical decisions based on logic and financial accountability rather than on just emotion and goodwill alone. And they're even frugal. They know where the money is going and its purpose. They understand the and how, how to evaluate it, uh, the working of a start startup venture and businesses that they know how to say yes and no with clarity. Now be aware that they're not just MBA trained uh, or have the makings of a chief financial officer or financial leader. They don't have to be, but they need to understand how to talk to their financial team and leadership without drawing a blank stare. Number nine is forever a student. Growing and entrepreneurs are always students of their craft and as they never stop learning, they're passionately curious about not only their field but also looking for models and strategies from different industries and verticals so that they might also apply brilliant thinking into their own venture. And number ten, another important one, life outside. Growing entrepreneurs have a life outside their explicit work. Although they may be thinking about their venture or business 24-7, they have hobbies, play video games, go cycling, spend time reading or explore the fine art of brewing beer. They are in love with other activities and people. So there's 10 um, qualities of a budding entrepreneur can you be working in these areas? Well, it's time for me to go. Thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. Next week, we're going to visit the tax world with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. Christina will be back with some more of her innovation ideas and other business and legal news. I'd love your company for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Dwayne Johnson once said, success at anything will always come to this. Focus and effort, and we can control both. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>